What's up? What's up? Welcome to the One Inch Barrier. I am your host, Juan Carlos Ohana, and I hope you're all staying safe and staying healthy. All right. So, a quick reminder again: the Patreon page is up and running. This is now the seventh and the final season of the podcast. So, thank you so much for all your support. Um, we are nearing the end of the regular episodes, but the bonus episodes will continue. And currently, we are doing a 2020 retrospective where we talk about the films nominated alongside Denmark's Another Round. So, we have already discussed. Hong Kong's Better Days, Romania's Collective, and just last weekend, the Manasota skin from Tunisia. Um, a, one film remaining, Boston Hurts the Governess, Kovada Saida. So be sure to check that out. All right. And, and also, I just want to say, in Patreon, you get the, epi- the regular episodes one day in advance. That's nice. Just saying. <laughs> All right. So for this episode, we are going to talk about the film that received honorary foreign language film award at the 23rd Academy Awards. That film is The Walls of Malapaga. Or in its original languages, in French, Odile de Grille, or Beyond the Gates. And in Italian, Le Mura di Malapaga. Directed by René Clément. So for a quick summary of the film, this is about Pierre. He is um, a, a French man on the run after he murdered his mistress. And now he's being hunted by the authorities. So he stowed away uh, aboard a ship bound to Italy. And then as he arrived in the place, he was robbed by someone. And then he met Chikina, um, a young girl who introduces him to her mother, Marta. They fall in love, but the French police start starting to chase him. So that's a quick summary of the Walls of Malapaga. So our guest for this episode is from the Philippines. He's a filmmaker from Baguio City. A city that I love so much, but I'm sure he loves it more because he's from there. Alright, so please welcome Mervyn Aquino. Hi Mervyn, thank you so much for being here. Yes, of course, of course. Hello, hello, and I'm... Thank you for inviting me. Of course. Your yes. How are you? <laughs> I I am good and I am busy and I am dying from heat <laughs> in the Philippines. <laughs> but you know, it's, uh, it's all good. Yeah. It's all good. Busy times, it's hard times, but you know, just go through yeah. it. Same, same. <laughs> it means we're on the same <laughs> side. It's right, same, same. Um, uh, right. yeah um all right so i know you've had you've been busy recently um but aside from what keeps us both busy you've also done some things recently um can you tell our listeners about your work especially recently sure yeah. um yeah um so for, as for me i work mostly on short films and documentaries so um that, that's the the scope of films and uh, video that I um, tread <laughs> yeah, basically so and uh, recently I I've been developing this short documentary on the uh, public market of my city Baguio City uh, which is uh, has this impending redevelopment plan by this big um, corporation in the Philippines so the corporation's planning to run over the market I mean develop it but also um, 
a lot a lot of the public market space for their own business and so it's basically mollifying as the market uh, vendors would call it they're trying to mollify the public space so oh yeah so that's what i'm trying to explore recently and develop um yeah maybe showing soon but we don't know yet <laughs> I don't think we know a lot of things yet <laughs> this year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that becomes the yeah. truth. I mean, yeah, just just hearing your story about that because I I I love your city, like I said, and I love that market so much. So many great buys, lots of memories as well. So I it it I don't know. We've got it all for <laughs> you, but. Um, yeah. So before I, before I would before we proceed, I would like to ask you one thing. That is a very Baguio City specific thing. Uh, what is your sp- well, what is your okay. favorite spot in the city? Favorite spot in the city? Oh my gosh! Uh, <laughs> it's kind of hard. Of course, apart from my home, yes. you know. It's- by default, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I barely go out, you know. <laughs> uh, but you know, uh, recently, especially the market been very special, you know, and you know that's why it, it, it pushes me all the more uh, with my friends you know, to really document the space, which is always going to change, you know, and you know, uh, it's also kept alive by. Uh, people, you know, which are often uh, put aside by the government and the uh, business, big businesses. So, you know, walking around um, when I was um, shooting for a few months, so I always walking around every day, even though there's no intention of uh, actually interviewing or shooting. But uh, I, have, I haven't noticed these things before because... Um, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's always new when you every day you go to the market every day, so and that's I think that's pretty special. You know, there's kind of magic in in that. Yeah, there's something magical about that market. I mean, so as um as a as a lowland person, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's 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 a place where culture is so alive. Um, and it's. Because it's kind of low key, you know, it's kind of being taken for granted. But it is a place of so much culture. Um, I think almost a lot of tourists stop by there before they get down. It's the final stop before they go. Um, that's what I did. That's why I know. Um, and then, but for me also, one of my favorite spots, aside from the market, the public market, mm. is the night market at Session Road. Session Road? No, no, no. It's not Session Road. Oh. It's a session. Uh, Harrison, Harrison Road. Road. The session road is the other road. Yeah, yeah. Another special road. Yes, yes, yes. Um, the night market <laughs> is um, so special for me. That's where I first learned how to wear a bonnet. Um, I had a date there. And that's all. All right, so. Um, uh, we continue. No, my lips are sealed. Uh-huh. Oh, no. May 1, 2019. Char. All right. So, <laughs> this is a film, The Walls of Malapaga. This is a film that, yeah. as I've been reading in the very, um, in the very reliable uh, Wikipedia, <laughs> was highly regarded in its day. <laughs> but now it's not that known. Um, 
it's a film directed by René Clément, who has some other more well-known films. Um, so this is one of those films that are kind of my curiosities in this category. Because, for example, the previous episode, Le Rashomon, I already know what I'm... That, that's my first time to watch Rashomon, but I kind of have an idea because its reputation is so big. With this one, there's not so much... Um, uh, uh, popularity, I guess, with this one. So I would like to ask. I'm always curious with this one. Um, initial thoughts. What did you think of the Walls of Malapaga? Yeah. Well, when you first uh, told me we were, we were going to talk about it, I also didn't have a clue. You know, uh, of of the film, I never heard it. Uh, not familiar with the director, but uh, you know, I watched it. Uh, recently and uh, it's quite special it, it's dated by its um, surroundings its setting you know? uh, it really captures that time in Italy um, yeah so I, I really appreciate those kinds of works that are um, you know we're, we're often used to uh, big setups you know um, just fabricating settings you know but for this one, uh, there's that raw feeling of a uh, post-war Italy, you know, as, as, as a setting. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I could be wrong. <laughs> but that's what I saw in it. The ruins, um, the community. That's a very, um, very interesting to see on film. And yeah, I, I quite enjoyed it, actually. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't expect to. Uh, I didn't read anything or I just jumped into the film so yeah, I found it quite uh, enjoyable actually more than I thought I would I mean that's that's the same experience as I had like when I was sometimes sometimes I'm trying to avoid um, previous information so that I would not uh, I would not my my judgment would not be clouded but it's almost impossible to be clouded with this film because there's really little written online, and especially more recent writings about this one. Um, I would agree. Um, I there is a post-war feeling to it that I also felt. Um, it's it's not so because I think, for example, with Italian neorealism, it's more evident. It is really post-war. With this one, it's more in the sensibility. Like on how matter-of-fact poverty is, for example. Or how it centers... Um, like a dissolution of family, I guess. Um, separated um, a husband and wife. A child that is going up against a mother. Um, a man that is... There is a, sen- there's a post-war sensibility to it that I could not articulate so much. Um, but yeah, there is that. That's why... That appealed to me because it doesn't gear towards, for me, it doesn't gear towards the raw. But there is a sensibility that it's kind of raw. And that tinge of like lack of polish kind of adds up to the texture of the film. Because it makes it more... Matter of fact, I guess it's very economical in its storytelling. Like I said, no big setups, no. It's a melodrama, and yet there aren't really a lot of. 
I, I would say that most of the emotions are kind of held back as well most of the time. Um, it it surprised me on how low key this film is, um, for better and for not so better. But um, I would like to ask two things. I'll start with the first one first. <laughs> um, you said it was quite special. What do you think made it special? Um, yeah, apart from the things we, you and I mentioned earlier, uh, the setting, that, um, uh, that emotion of the times, or uh, how do you say that? that? That feeling of this after the war, recuperating. Yeah, I, I think... Oh, what did I find so special about it? <laughs> what did I find? Oh my gosh. It, it's very... Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think it's very held back, like you said. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. It's very subtle, but it gets things done. And it's also quite entertaining to watch, you know. It's very subtle, but, you know, it's well-directed. There's, that, there's that also that feeling. Uh, it's not, yeah. I mean, it's it's different, uh, like from neorealism uh, a few years before this. Um, that you know, it was just really on the spot. Here, there's a kind of a, a bit of a directorial approach that um, there's really a setup, although not in a studio or whatever. That I'm not sure because I I don't know the production, yeah. But that's how it felt, and even how they write the emotions in. Um, through less and less words, you know, they don't have to overstate um, their emotions for each other. I mean, although uh, towards the ending, you know, spoiler, not, not really a spoiler, but it's a love story, right? So sometimes they go, they push, they really push the love story. At the, uh, so there's this grand, um, beautiful lighting, bright, and um, very... Um, music, uh, in music type of uh, uh, sequence, you know, and then they're talking to each other by the sea. And uh, there are those kinds of moments that just break it for me. But um, there are also very specific scenes like um, when Martha and Pierre were traveling together, right? And they were in the, in the train or the tram, I think. And um, very subtly, when uh, when Martha changes position, she she holds Pierre's hands by the pole. You know, it's not it's just it's just there. It's just it's just a matter of fact. You know, it's it, um, it's very subtle flirting, <laughs> if you put it that way. And oh, I think those those kinds of um, of actions i guess are most effective to me when presented right on film and you know it, it makes it, it it doesn't overstate the feeling but it just shows it you know sometimes you just show it so i, I think i find those things um very special yeah because a lot of old no no i, I wouldn't say old films but Maybe today, uh, a lot of things are okay. Conversational, you know, especially in the popular cinema, right? I mean, everything has to be uh, said rather than um, shown. So I, I think since I, it's been a while since I watched something uh, from this age, probably 40s, 50s, 50s. 
Um, so yeah, uh, I don't know if that makes any sense, but that subtlety within this context is quite uh, interesting to see since they pulled it off well. Yeah. Yeah, I agree that there, there, the subtlety is something that took me a while to get used to because I'm, I don't think I'm used to it that much with films from this time. I actually think films from before, this is not a scholarly opinion, so shut up. Um, I, there is a tendency to be very clear on what they're feeling on a textual level. It's obvious with this one because it is about people like um, not privileged people. So there isn't really that um, in things are more matter of fact. I guess that's where I'm going is that um, love is treated as a matter of fact. Um, danger is treated as a matter of fact. Survival is treated as a matter of fact. And that took me a while to get used to it um however i want to get back to what you said a while ago you said that there were moments that break it for you um would you say that the love story was detrimental to the film or do you think there could have been like quick fixes that the love story would work but there are just some moments that break it for you yeah i think i would if I were to point to a moment, it's really that moment by the sea and uh, a few sequences before that when they were really just shopping. I mean, I get it that um, this this guy, Pierre, he knows his doom is impending. So uh, I, I'll YOLO, <laughs> basically, right? <laughs> that, that's what I felt from uh, how the portrayal went, right? So... I think those kinds of very, no, oh, we're in love, um, leading to that scene by the sea, and they're just lying there with the, by the waves, you know, is that the sea or the port or something, anyway. But yeah, um, it's so, it felt out of place, mm. especially in the, in the whole film, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, I am not sure if it's, that detrimental to it because it's also recognized for its love story, its different approach. I, I mean, contrary to um, American filmmaking of the time, you know, um, it's it's quite different for sure. But the love story part just smells like Hollywood sometimes in the film. <laughs> I love the term. That I love that term. It smells like Hollywood sometimes. I get what you mean. That scene, for example, is not totally in sync with the language of the film in terms of setting. Yeah. Which, is, which setting I get. Like, you know, but in terms of maybe blocking, I guess, or like something, something directorially is not in match with it. Because, for example, I remember the first scenes of um, the name of the guy, Pierre. And when he was stowaway, uh, stowaway the the boat, and then when he arrived at the dentist, and then when he arrived at the restaurant, restaurant, um, they I'm so French right now. I'm sorry. Oui, oui. Um, there is a there is a directness to it, 
that even if I don't know everything yet about the man, there is an immediacy to it. And I think the immediacy adds to empathy in a way that, okay, I don't know you yet, but because this is so matter of fact, that's where I connect with you. The small details, I understand that. I don't have to under I don't have to know him immediately yet. The fact that his survival survivalist journey is seen through this lens, like, okay, I'm with you. I don't know yet, but I'm with you. So scenes like that in the for example, like the aforementioned like um uh the beach scene, I think there's just something that um feels kinda abrupt in how the film shifted its language. And I don't think it's the kind of language that the film even goes back into. It it really fe- I don't think it's bad. It just feels like um something that sticks out. Like I said, sticks out. Uh, what do you think of the love story then? I liked it in its subtle moment before, except that. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? uh, but uh, it doesn't. What I liked about it actually is that it. it it slowly builds up, you know, and there's still that hesitance. Am I going to, for the for Marta, am I going to love this man? Or, you know, but it's, they slowly uh, converge, you know. Um, uh, and that's what I liked about it without, um, because, I mean, from the start, you know, that this woman is uh, captivated by our main character, right? Um, but I guess it builds up slowly, um still um holds on to those very intimate moments um very subtle moments like the one i said um uh, in the train uh, when when i saw that, oh, that i wish it it did more of that you know um i wish it but yeah i guess it also i'm so uh, torn about it you know because yeah i guess you know, i agree with what you said there's an immediacy to this love you know yeah <laughs> and um they both know their doom you know and i guess that's what brings it back for me I mean, that's what wins it back is that yeah okay then let's let's just yeah. Let's let's move on. You know, that love story for me, the more I think about it, the more I actually like it because um it's like these two people weren't really looking for love even. It's it's a love that was brought by survival. Because I'm going I'm going back to survival as a theme. Um Pierre is someone that um is on the run. Uh, Marta you know, he's kind of on the run. He's, she's trying to escape the marriage that um, that didn't work, but his husband is still, like, kind of chasing after them. Um, and they're both just... They they don't have the... Um, what is the right word? They, 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 they don't have the... They don't have the capacity, I guess. The capacity? They don't have the, um, the capacity to overthink love. You know, they're not so well off that to think about love and you know date or whatever. The love that blossomed was something that just came very naturally, and the film was able to demonstrate that it came very naturally, to the point that I I understood when 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 they already bonded and when uh, Marta let Pierre in, even if um Chiquina 
pretended to be sleeping, but she's not. And she is um, refusing to be in a relationship. That felt like a natural progression. And I would give the film that. Is that it un- It understood the characters. I've been saying this in a few episodes now. And I would say it again probably next week. Is that these people that are um, in poverty. I am now becoming very conscious when films treat them with condescension or with proximate empathy. With this one, I didn't feel that the film was just looking at them out. Poor. Poor them. No. But I saw the film as I wanna I wanna see your story. Like that's how it because it was just following them and that's where the simplicity of the film at first I doubted it. At first, okay, what, what, why are we doing this? Why, why is the winner? <laughs> but I say that sometimes simplicity is the best way to tell a story. Simplicity removes all the embellishments, removes all the bullshit, and just gets down to what is the core of the film, which is two, these two people. Um, I'm kind of afraid to go back to one one note that I wrote because this is too long now. It kind of said it was a bit dated. No, it's okay. Um, in a good way or a bad way? Um, in a good way, mm-hmm. in a neorealist way, <laughs> if I even put it that way. Um, it doesn't try to hide the blemishes of the city. You know, um, you situate this uh, community, this love in this. Um, in this these sites of ruin, right? Um, it, it also gives character to this these to uh, people entangled, right? And uh, it's it's not, I really like those kinds of films, you know. Just yeah, just show it as it is, you know. There's no there's no trying to um cover up the nice part to the nice parts of um. Of Italy, I guess, but uh, no. This is a port city. Um, let's sh- this. Uh, it's a convergence of all these people. It's a, It was a site of uh, you know, the, these ruins, and um, until now they're feel- feeling the effects of um, like yeah, poverty and uh, these family messes <laughs> that they're in. Um. I, I guess that's what it's really the setting that takes it for me basically. But uh, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, if that makes any sense, yeah. yeah. The 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 milieu dates it, but for some reason the 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 way it's articulating emotions is still very now. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah. I think we're getting back to the kind of filmmaking where. Being matter of fact isn't the way to go in terms of story. I'm trying that. I'm sorry. I'm a big, big dem- emotional guy. Um, but with the Walsh of Malapaga, weirdly, and this I found this with the other neorealist films. Those films were coming from a perspective of people trying to build their lives after the ruins or people living with the ruins. It's so haunting for me sometimes and disturbing that this is 2022 and I'm resonating with that. Or no, that resonates with me. It's, um, are we in ruins? Yes. Um, so 
I think that was Malapaga. In a way, it feels very 50s to me, but at the same time, it, which is weird to say because it originally released in 49. This feels very 50s, but at the same time, on how it demonstrates emotions, on how it lets its characters to express emotions in small ways, that for me feels fresh still. That makes me connect with a story. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I love I love your terms. Smells like Hollywood. Um, dated in a good way, in a neo-realist way. I'm gonna use that sometimes. But, yeah. But uh, but uh, yeah. In relation to what you said, even the techniques are quite um, contemporary, if you could say that. You know, um, the these uh, this place with shadows. You know, it's it's very good. It's very. I like it. I love it. You know, there's this, this scene where. Um, the I think it was the ex lover running after Pierre and Martha, right? And I so he's searching for them in the dark when a, when a truck passes by. Right? Yeah, it, it it lights up uh the this uh column uh through the column just to show the shadows of the, the lovers, right? And Without showing the lovers afterwards, you know you get it, but it's for this brief moment. You know it it doesn't dumb it down. So I I love those times about it. You know, um, it's really beautifully shot. I I I could give it that. You know, um, and very innovative at at that. Now uh, through lighting, through the directing, you know these coordinations with vehicles, with people and the spaces they're in, you know, um, quite special and quite, um, it's quite bountiful, you know, it offers the audience something to, oh, oh, I got it, I got it, and there's this, that kind of fulfillment if you, when you see it. Yeah. yeah, it is simple, but it doesn't dumb it down, like, there is an elegance to <laughs> it, um, yeah, that shot. Like, I want a screenshot, and like, this is this is gonna be in my film in the future, whatever. <laughs> like, I'm gonna seal this one. Um. Also, what's interesting with me is how they show the female characters, um, single mother and strong-willed daughter, and they're clashing. And the the age gap is like the strong-willed daughter is like minor, and single mother is like middle-aged, and you know they kind of disagreed on the presence of the man. But it's not as if their lives are revolving around the man. There is an independence to it that, again, I wasn't in the 50s. But it feels very post-war. That sensibility of, like, women not needing men or women rebuking men trying to... Because the, the ex-husband of Marta, the name is a Giuseppe. Giuseppe's trying, kind of trying to reclaim his place in the family and his... The women that no, we're separated, and I think is it right? Chikina denies him as his father, um, or kind of the, I, I don't want him like in the church, in the uh, school scene, yeah, yeah, she, yeah, she, she says that no, uh, she, she just like, no, yeah. <laughs> right? Because the before they went to the police station, right? yeah, um, yeah, I don't think she denies the father no. as a father, but. There's that um, I'm sorry. denial of space <laughs> in their lives, yeah. you know? <laughs> I think it's more of that. I apologize. <laughs> no, I saw this. 
<laughs> yeah, I also don't quite remember the words, you know, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's something like that. <laughs> yeah, but I, I was just struck on how these these characters were led to be those. And even in the times that they were clashing, it's not... It's not as if the film just kind of condescended them and just put them against each other. These were women who had reasons why they go up against each other. They have own convictions outside of the man. Um, it Again, one of the things that kind of struck me and gave me so much like, wow, we're doing this in 1950. I this is this is great i i love that angle of just being <laughs> i mean pierre is our center but the women in his no the women that he met marta and chikina her daughter are just characters of their own they don't feel like women in his lives yeah i would agree yeah and you know, these these acts like outsmarting men you know it's quite clever you know uh outsmarting their boss in the in the uh restaurant yeah. for example through the fake the bill. fake bill wow. yeah uh and yeah even these uh, no I, cl- I claim you're not you're not going to be part of my household you ex-husband right? and yeah I, I guess you're you're right in saying that they have independent they have they, they have their they have their reasons and also they act on their own accord, you know. Hey, the mother. No, I'm gonna pursue this relationship even for a brief, brief moment. And daughter, you know, I'm processing this on my own. And in the end, she also tries to protect Pierre in in some ways, you know. Uh, but she she does that on her own realization, on her own accord, and you know. Um, it's good. It's good to see, actually. I mean, I don't know how how progressive it is in its time, you know, in the context of its time. But yeah, I think I haven't been seeing too much of those interactions um, recently. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> thinking of work. Yeah. Yeah, I, anyway. I was thinking that because, you know, <laughs> um, post twenty seventeen, like the Me Too times up, there there is a strong movement, especially in Hollywood, to kind of like empower women and their characters in films. But sometimes that comes off as forced, or that comes off as preachy, and it's not because of the theme; it's because of the filmmaking, maybe or the writing. With the walls of Malapag, it's very matter of fact. Like, I've been I've been repeating the word matter of fact, simple, whatever. I'm sorry, <laughs> no words, but it is really impactful on just how they did it. Um, for example, Chikina tried to get Pierre on the boat near the end, and then lied to his mother, her mother. There's something there's something striking about that. And it's not a random act. Chikina, right from the beginning, is a is a young girl who who will not settle, who will not stand by the sides. 
and um, wait for whatever happens to her mother. And because the characters are so consistent, con- written, <laughs> so consistently written, that um, there is a beauty once they take those big swings and you know it's rooted in character as opposed to um, random acts of d- drama. And you know that's the thing as well is that the women in, the, in this film are, they are naturally empowered. And the film doesn't have to make a spectacle out of it. They are naturally empowered. And um, in a way, kind of Pierre is just taking on the ride. Um, because this, these women were like more active than in him. And, you know, when the film already... Um, there is a recurring theme of the truth and the false. True and false. Like, um, fake bill. It's your real name. ID. Like there is a recurring theme of like the truth and the false, and uh, again, it's it's one thing that is you know it's it's a simple concept, but yet it just works its way into the story, pretty well. That um, I could not ask for more on that aspect. Is that it understands what it wants to say? Yeah, for sure, and and yeah, it's even the true false thing also goes with. In conversation, right? oh, did he really do this? Is he really like this? Yeah. So, I, it was really, it's good to see. Yeah. Uh, thank you for that. I guess You're welcome. It, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, I just also really saw it now. Yeah. My pleasure. <laughs> and it also worked, right? <laughs> right. I mean, it, it, it really integrated well. I mean, yeah. Within yeah. the narrative, it just works, eh? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> um, but I do want to ask about the ending. Um, okay, okay. S- what did you think of that ending? Were you satisfied with that ending? No, no, <laughs> really, no, no, for me, for me, yeah. Um, I'm not sure how to feel about it. Um, in the context that the, uh, the situation is urgent, you know, <clears throat> and there's no, I, I, I'm not sure how else I would end it, you know, it's, it's, it's bound to end, yeah, basically, and you were expecting that from, <laughs> from the start, but, you know, I, I'm not sure if, that's the last thing you know you want to see. I don't know what else I wanted to see, but because the uh, you're really enjoying the film, the the change of emotion in the love story, the the change the shift you know intercut between the tension in um, Sh- uh, Shakina's uh, writing on the walls, just to warn here that the police are coming. Um, I, I wanted really to resolve that tension um, in some other way, but I'm not sure if I, if it was the time I watched it or if it was actually how I felt about the film, you know. Um, I, this one, I guess I'm trusting myself. I love myself. and <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, but, you know, I didn't really feel fulfilled, actually. I'm not sure if it's a it's a trend in um, non-American cinema at that time. It, just until now, 
Nandun na ako. Yeah, you know, those, uh, it's, it's not, because, you know, it's not quite the, this um, mi- middle or like German films, for example, which are very, uh, very um, conscious about that being an art house or um, some Bergmans of the time, you know, um, very conscious of these things. But Uh, for this, it was trying to tread on two things, you know. You, you try to polish it in such a way that it's appreciated by um, the English-speaking audience, but also in a way that it's transgressive because there's this um, uh, specific setting to it, uh, French and Italian setting. So um, I, I'm not sure if the ending really needed to be that. You know, yeah. I'm still thinking. What do you think? Um, before I continue, hi to our German listeners. <laughs> um, um, I would say, <laughs> I would say that the film I think was building up to that, but it just ended way too early, abruptly. I feel like it needed it needed the breather. I don't know if it's a, it's a, I don't I, I'm trying to assess myself is is this a personal taste thing or is it something that the story really needed because it felt like we just reached a climax and then it just ended we didn't have time to think about what just happened and I'm not sure if it's just me because you know I, th- I think I'm kind of okay with abrupt endings like like films that really work because they're abrupt endings With this one, it it felt like it just hurried to wrap when it reached the ending, the climax. Um, it's it it feels some it feels a bit weird, because um, like I said early on, the relation the relationship was already spelling doom, and we kind of know we're gonna get there, and then when we're seeing that it's already starting to happen, like okay, we're gonna get there. And then when it got to the climax, Finn. Like, uh, yeah. <laughs> It's all the <laughs> Yeah, it quite ne- it needed that. Because uh, yeah. it was very intense, you know, the romance, the tension in uh, with the daughter. It was leading up to this and just to end it like that. But, Okay, we're gonna block your way. We gotta stop you at the tracks there. Uh, we know who you are, and uh, I think maybe it needed at least one more shot just to before it finished. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not too sold on the ending how it end how they decided to end it. Yeah, it's 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 more like we have to have the time to process it. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think that's where, um, I think that's where I I, for the first time I went, huh? And luckily that was the ending, huh? <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's that's why in my notes it says ending question mark because I didn't understand like, okay, that's how we wrap the story. The story that, for how matter of fact it is, is actually very eventful, um, beautifully so because it. It was about the everyday life, um, but then it it when it got the emotions got big. I thought, okay, this is gonna be like something that is rewarded, 
or earned because we've we've been kind of the film's kind of been low key for the longest time, and then when it did, it 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 kind of refused to conclude, or just conclude immediately. Um, I think there is power in breathing room, especially in emotions in films. Sometimes you don't you should not end things immediately. You should let the emptiness settle in, the aftermath be. Um, you should let the audience reconcile with what just happened. Give them a moment or so, and we've been kind of nitpicky, like one shot or like ten seconds. <laughs> what does this film need an ending? Because sometimes, sometimes it is just a matter of a few seconds or one shot, two shots, and then the re- the the power of the ending is realized in its in, in its full power. Otherwise. Um, it felt abruptly ended, like you know, oh, there's no more time. Wrap up. <laughs> yeah, it felt that felt that way for sure. And uh, going back to the body of the film, which was like you said, it's really rich, you know. Um, and what felt missing from the ending, I'm also realizing now, was that the presence of the people around. It's kind kind of odd. I mean, of course, this this was uh, in the wee hours of the morning, right? But every time there's an instance, there's always a gathering. People all always uh, slowly appear. But for uh, this ending felt so isolated, given that um, they know what's happening. You know, it's so it felt so empty in that way that every throughout the film. The community was very visible and present, and for this, it's like they didn't really appear to stand or not stand beside here. You know, I don't know if I should expect that, but uh, it's what I appreciated earlier in the film. You know, uh, and yeah, it, it just went back. Okay, it's just it's just you alone. Uh, no, uh, it felt. It's a, a miss opportunity. It just has, I think that's something I would have wanted to see more from it. So yeah, just watch the film. Don't watch the ending, <laughs> or imagine an ending of your own. Maybe that's what we learn from this. I don't know. <laughs> Free workshop for Renekdemo. Hi. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it it it's. But other than that, I think it's a pretty solid film. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add to the walls of Malapaga? I said from adding it and adding an ending to it. Um, <laughs> what else would you like to add apart from the ending? Yeah, um, yeah I, I guess so far that's what I've been thinking. I, I really like the freedom. I guess of um, there are films from this time that were very centric on the faces of actors. It is just quite um, you know that star power. I mean, Pierre, what's his name? Jean Gabon? I, no. Gabon, yes. It's a very uh, characteristic, uh, expressive face, but, some, you know, it, it's unafraid to um, not show that, you know, him bowing down or him from far away from a higher angle. Um, just to give importance to where they are right now, more than who... Um, or they were just focusing on their celebrities, you know. Um, I like that. I like the freedom, and I, it felt very 
like I said, contemporary. It's also very liberating to see because I I think I should care more about the surroundings than the characters, you know, and the surroundings, this tension, this um, uh, destruction. Also adds to the um, premise, right? I mean, these are the spaces that created these kinds of people. And um, yeah, that's, that's something that I appreciate with it. All right, so um, I have also have nothing to add. Um, I am quite surprised and not surprised, <laughs> uh, if that makes sense. Because <laughs> there's nothing to expect, really, so I'm not surprised. No, for sure. Yeah. I, w- one last question. What time did you watch this? What time did I watch it? I watched it, like, before noon, actually. Mm. <laughs> I, yeah. I watched it After at 1 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So that we're in different time zones. Yeah, you're in Baguio. I'm in Cavite. All right. So that is the walls of Malapaga. Oh, tout le monde a ses problèmes, ouais. Tiens, quand tu m'as rencontré tout à l'heure au commissariat, mm. elle m'a loué que ça finisse. Et pourquoi Je cherche pas à comprendre. Oh non, je ne cherche pas. D'abord, moi, je ne vois pas plus loin que le bout de mon nez. <rire> Qu'est-ce que tu vois, bout de ton nez L'heure de manger, l'heure de dormir, les jours qui passent les uns après les autres. Ma fille qui grandit. Ouais. Qui bonhomme de chemin, quoi. Encore faut-il trouver, hein. Moi, je crois qu'il y en a un pour chacun. C'est encore loin chez toi hein? Non, c'est ici à côté. Vous n'avez laissé personne en France so let's talk about how the Walter Malapaga ended up at the Oscars. It premiered in Cannes in September of 1949, where it won Best Director for René Clément and Best Actress for Isa Miranda. And then it screened in Italy in September that year, and then in France in October, and then it was released in the United States in March 26, 1950. Um, This, again, this this received the Honorary Foreign Language Film Award, at the 23rd Academy Awards and as of the time of recording and I think this will be the only time where two countries are credited for the award France and Italy um, no other major awards <sighs> yeah so this year there were other nominees in other categories um, for example Bitter Rice from Italy Directed by Giuseppe De Santis, it was nominated for Best Motion Picture Story. So for a quick summary of the film, it's about two criminals on the run ended up working in a rice field and decided to recruit other workers for the next robbery. I didn't see it. I'm so sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But the thing is, um, I recorded the 1949 episode, like, earlier so i think in the 49 episode i said oh we talked about it in the 1950 
No, we're not going to talk about it. <laughs> we haven't seen it both. We really tried, but, you know. Yeah. Tough times here. In, uh, yeah. what, what, what won in 1949, the year before? Um, bicycle Thieves. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Because uh, I'm not sure if I remember quite uh, correctly, no? but I think the name of the award for this is not the same as the next. Uh, like, for, this is called an honorary inter what's that foreign language but the next year it's called something different i think i'm not sure i was looking through the oscars um database you know um don't (laughs) i'm yeah i think um this time um the it was yeah it it was called the honorary foreign language film award but in 56 I'm trying to take a look at the at the name of the actual award. Um, it's usually just honorary award or special award, I think. Um, yeah, but yeah. in '56, yeah, not not best. Best, not best. In '56, okay. it became a competitive category. Oh, okay. So it became like a best foreign language film, and then yeah, in 2019, it became best international feature film. Okay, so so this also it it was also kind of a shift, I guess, in how they awarded uh, foreign films. Would that be right to say? Yeah, I think because in this time there were no other nominees. Right. Yeah. 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 But I was wondering. No other nominees, but I think maybe you know maybe, maybe I don't know what happened in fifty six. Like, no, let's do a category because it became a, a yearly thing, and. Uh, Okay, and then in, from 47 to 55, it was just one film being honored. And then in 56, it became a c- category, foreign language film. And in 2018, they thought the term foreign was outdated. So they changed it to international feature film, but exactly the same requirements. It has The film has to be in a language, not in English. So I guess foreign language film. But, you know, they have the reasons why they changed it, but... I'm actually not sure, but because in the 2018, we were alive, so we did know the reason why they changed the name. With this one, I didn't yeah, know what yeah. happened. Why they did? Why did they decide to? You know what? Let's just let's just not do one. Let's make it a competitive category as opposed to an honorary one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, but uh, gave us more options because sometimes the winner isn't the best. So you're not gonna nominate? Oh, alright. <laughs> yeah, because I also was like, well, what, what other films were you know al- alongside this? But I mean, apart from the ones you tried to uh, send over, right? Yeah, uh, the, the list that I sent over. But we. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah but the, the database is quite empty for this year in terms of international or foreign. Uh, you know. It was just one film, so. Um, but, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Because of that, we did try to come up with a list. Um, we're gonna discuss a bit two films. Um, but I'm just gonna run down some of the other films this year. For example, in Japan, um, from Kenji Mizuguchi, Portrait of Madame Yuki, from Akira Kurosawa, Scandal, from Tadashi Imai, Until We Meet Again, from Italy. From Roberto Rossellini, The Flowers of St. Francis. From Michelangelo Antonioni, Story of a Love Affair. From Sweden, Ingmar Bergman, uh, To Joy. <laughs> I'm sorry. From Ingmar Bergman, 
to Joy from Sweden. I'm sorry, from Sweden to Joy, directed by Ingmar Bergman. <laughs> and then from France, Orpheus, directed by Jean Cocteau. Um, I'm gonna let. I'm gonna let you, I'm gonna let you talk about first Genghis Khan from the Philippines. Um, this was directed by Manuel Conde. It premiered in Venice. Um, a quick summary from, I think this is IMDb or not. It's about um, you know the the Mongolian leader Genghis Khan, um, who right, I'm just gonna read it before becoming the legendary conqueror Genghis Khan. Temujin is a competitive type, not the strongest physically, but clever and cunning. After using his skills to win access to a water hole for his tribe, Timujin's his rival leader, Borshu, attack his people and kill his father. Vowing revenge, Timujin gathers for followers and begins to build his empire, all while wooing and winning the hand of beautiful Lehi. So, I didn't get to watch this film, but you have. So, can you tell me uh, the brief history of this? No, the history of this film, how it ended up to 2022, and... um. Your thoughts on the film? Oh, yeah. So it was produced in the same year as uh, the film we discussed earlier, right? Um, I first saw it when uh, they premiered the restored version in the University of the Philippines. You know? So film, I think it was the Film Archive of the Philippines and the Film Development Council of the Philippines who um, led the restoration, right? And it's quite interesting because the only available version of the film had English overdubs. Right? And we could hear traces of uh, the Tagalog that was originally spoken. But I guess for international audiences, English-speaking audiences, maybe it was a common practice more than subtitles we have today. So... Uh, in the process of the restoration, if I remember right, uh, um, there was no available print locally, and for uh, with a good and whole soundtrack that, that was um, viable for restoration. But since it had screenings in Venice, um, I think that's where they found the uh, the copy the only copy with a soundtrack and it had this english overdub thus the copy the dvds that are sold here uh locally in the philippines right by the film development council is in that version so and it's it's you can't erase that right but um of of recent developments i heard that they found a copy that had uh, the original uh, Tagalog uh, soundtrack. So I guess um, maybe they're trying to acquire it, but there hasn't been any updates on this uh, recently. I hope we they acquire it because it's in a private uh, collection as far as I heard. And it's quite tricky. Who owns it, you know, I mean, or how much they give uh, for it since it's in a private collection so yeah it's it's, it's an important film I guess because I mean other than it's important because it survived right which is a, a lot of the narrative of our cinema in the country uh, it's also quite grand it's also quite a grand 
uh, Endeavor, <laughs> if you could call it that. I mean, a Filipino production led by Manuel Conde. Um, depicting a Mongolian uh, leader and employing this oriental tropes, uh, oriental costume characters, uh, setting, and then also employing this grand horse chase, horse ride, or horse, it's like uh, crowd, horror, oh, how do you call that? Horse running scene or like a war scene, chariot scene or a war scene on horses. So uh, it's it's quite ama- amazing that they pulled that off. You know, I'm still so it's also a testament of the attitude of um, studio filmmaking in the Philippines in the 1950s. Because it was also about that grandeur. You know, it was spectacle really, and yeah, I mean, I think. There are copies available um, that we could buy um, to watch or, you know, wherever you find movies. But, but, <laughs> so yeah. I hope I, Yeah. But it's still the one with the My English track, right? Yeah. Um, as of ever, <laughs> <laughs> there's no available copy of uh, the one with the original uh, soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, quite an interesting story for uh, 1950 film. <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, I, I just remember Gengaka because it, I think it is one of the few period films that we really produced in the country. Um, that notable <laughs> period films that we produced in this country. Um, I, I don't know. Is it because of that um, we're from a third world country and our cinema there was post-war? But it yeah, I, I'm seeing stills of it, and I do see a certain level of ambition that um, was quite surprising that we had at the time, especially given all the circumstances that we had. I mean, I'm just reading some of the trivia on this film. This is this the first Filipino film to be acclaimed at an international film festival. It was praised by a noted American film critic, James Agee. Um, and then... Um, oh, apparently... Uh, 23... 24. Oh, what is this? Um, what is this category? The 23. This is 1950. Oh, I, I see here that it was submitted. No. IMDb states official submission of the Philippines for best foreign language film category at the 26th Academy. There is no such category then at the time. But it was released in 1950 to the United States. So it was possible that it was up for consideration for the Honorary Foreign Language Film Award in 1953. But guess what? That was the only year with no Foreign Language Film Award or recipient in the history of this category. Yeah. So um, I wonder why they didn't give that award because we're going to receive it. I don't know. But um, this this is really striking because I, I did read that this is one of the films in consideration for that Honorary Foreign Language Film Award, which was not given away. Technically, that's the closest that we got to this category. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's... Uh, but, you know, I... It's it's one of my frustrations as a Filipino filmmaker is that we, our history is so hard to find in film. Yeah, especially, I mean, uh, pre-war, there are only like five extant films, right? Uh, and And... 
after the war even um a lot of studio films were uh, you know blew up in their storehouses <laughs> because of the nitrate and uh, many studios didn't really you know, they didn't there's not as much as concept of archiving as there is now back then right so uh, these are just popcorn flicks you know bakya films what uh, or you know the po- uh, popular consumption films and after they they're shown i don't think there's an afterlife for them so um films like the, this where you see the grandeur um and its survivability you know uh, it's quite an amazing thing to hold on to actually it's quite important to look and there isn't much to look for actually i mean there's not much material to search through but these surviving films really i guess capture the times yeah. if you could say that yeah even the the bakya films they, they they get the spirit of the times so it would be interesting to see that culture that the movie going culture that we had then um yeah it's so weird because you know now i'm in this time of the category in 1540s and it's so like it's so common like it's so easy to get to watch films from other countries in this time for us it's almost like a blank um it's hard like sometimes you go through histories of film awards in a country in the 50s and like what are these titles i, I don't know them where where can we find them and it's um it's quite disheartening when you think about it that's why i don't think about it but anyway <laughs> um i there there are more there are other more disheartening things right now but um we have one more film to talk about and that is the young and the oh. damned from mexico or known its original language as Los Olvidados, directed by Luis Buñuel. It won the Best Director at Cannes, and it's about a group of juvenile delinquents um, that live um, a violent and crime-filled life in the festering slums of Mexico City, and the morals of young Pedro are gradually corrupted and destroyed by the others. What did you think of Los Olvidados? Hey, I'm personally quite attracted to these kinds of films. Okay. You know, um... Uh, well, Lu- Luis Bunuel, I really know him well for his early work with, and maybe a lot of people have seen this early work with Salvador Dali, right? Um, yes, the Andalusian dog, right? <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, this is, is this isn't a collaboration anyway, but uh, Bunuel always has that kind of attitude where he play. It's it's playful. It's surreal, and yeah, in the same way that I appreciate how on the site uh, Malapago was, right? Um, it was also in differently approached in this film, but uh, it's quite enjoyable. I really like these kinds of films that have that have the guts to play, you know, and uh, show that the rawness of uh children you know living life in these tough times uh, of course it's um it's really staged but the um you're really situated you're really situated into the streets of um mexico the outskirts right um, yeah so yeah i really like <laughs> these kinds of films uh, uh stylized sequences um like weird um 
objects in it or it's juxtapositions of like blind men and chickens for example um yeah uh, it's quite creative and it it the it brings another dimension to this uh poverty stricken context right um, these kids are facing tough times but in a way try to really capture these tough times no matter the techniques you know if i need to play with it uh if i need to make it dreamlike in a way i need to express the sensuality of these uh uh pre-teens and teenagers in mexico uh, how they feel about their bodies and um their urges right uh, go for it and that, that kind of attitude is I really appreciate it, yeah. So, and this had quite a better ending than <laughs> than the first thing we talked about. Yeah, I mean, it, it's 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 similar in such a way that okay, you know, you, you the scene happens and then Finn, right? Uh, should I should we talk about the ending? Or I'm not sure. I because yeah. I mean, it really led up to that, and I don't, I don't think anything after that would have mattered, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's quite nice. It's also very rich. Both films that we watched, very rich. Yeah. Uh, culturally charged, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, with I was trying to think of a, a right word. I was also thinking of using the word raw, but. This film isn't raw. It feels raw, but it's stylized. Um, it is, I think the reason why it got very controversial is that at the time it was very controversial. Um, it refuses to look away. And it makes you really uncomfortable. And it stays. Not in a sadistic kind of sense where we relish the pain that we see either a blind man being attacked or um, a young girl almost almost raped right almost raped um but the film is just so hauntingly it's also not matter of fact but it's just unflinching it's just it doesn't hesitate to go far. I mean, um, it's it's both. It's both realist. Social realist, I guess, but there's also a tinge of that, fan inner inner fantasy life, that makes, it even more disturbing because you know there is more than just the suffering. There is a. There is a life inside, and you know even the despicable characters are, are given humanity. Um, what's the name of the character that is like so awful? I think his name is Haibo. Yeah, yeah Haibo. That guy. Ugh. But each of the characters, the film is interested in everyone. And yeah. the film is so expertful in its blocking and framing and um, length of shots, editing, that you, it, the film is ugly. It makes you feel nasty. It 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 wants to it wants to make you understand how 
awful this life is. How awful these characters could be either by by force or by choice. And it's a film that's uh it shows the disgusting side of humanity. <laughs> like this is how bad we could go. And it's so disturbing because we see it in the youth. And the film is so careful on how what what it shows. It's not relishing in the in the ugliness as to exploit poverty or to make a spectacle out of it. But just to be just to put us in an uncomfortable position. To make us understand that this is how dark we could go. Um I I've only seen like the more surreal offerings of Bunuel. Uh this one is intense and that might be my favorite Bunuel. Hmm. Right, right, yeah. Um I remember seeing this in a film class, but um didn't really pay much uh attention to it back then. But yeah, I didn't pay attention to film class school. <laughs> <laughs> to to the <laughs> films being shown in film class. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Of course, yeah. you know, it's, it's more fun to snack away in yeah. class. Yeah, upstairs, it. upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, for sure, it even had that uh, the guts to post a disclaimer at the start. Yeah, that, uh, this is the story of uh, real people. <laughs> um, or uh, this is New York and this is another grand city but this is Mexico. <laughs> quite uh, quite uh, an interesting way to um, kick it off without even recurring any time else in the film. So yeah, it really uh, no, it, it kicks you <laughs> kicks you into the film. <laughs> like what what am I getting into? <laughs> So, yeah, quite quite an enjoyable watch actually. It's it's very tense, you know. Yeah, I I read some criticisms. They said that um, they use the word harsh, innovative, critical, daring, bleak, uh, indignation, fair, <laughs> but um. I don't know. How can you tell a story that's about ugliness when you don't get too ugly? When you don't get ugly. Dos Avirados goes there and is not afraid. And it's even daring the audience to not look away. And it's not giving the chance for us to look away. Even that ending is uncomfortably abrupt. That's what I say when an ending, when an abrupt ending works. Is that it leaves you a sting and you're like, what? It's over, like with with Duasa Malapaga, we I, I was saying that it needed the time to breathe to process the emotions. With this one, the power is not letting us process the emotions, and um, it's it's a very disturbing film even to this day, and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's quite led to that ending. Right? Yeah, I mean, everything. Oh man, these kids had it. <laughs> you know, that, 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 uh, that's the feeling I felt. You know, when I watched it, oh man. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's un- it, it, that that laughter of mine is very like much of a nervous laughter. Right? <laughs> <laughs> these kids are screwed, <laughs> but you know, um, wow. I mean, 
come to think of it, they, it's also situated in this very nasty part of uh, gritty part of Mexico, right? And it, it it doesn't need to pretend where it is and isn't. You know, the farmhouses, the streets, the um, disorganized uh, markets. You know, um, there's a charm in that, and uh, I guess um, it's quite. It really puts you into that setting because it actually is shot or located in those settings. Uh, you know, the um, ruins uh, or, or uh, grasslands behind the factory where a uh, big scene happens, right? Um, yeah, uh, so I, I really like these things that, okay, this, this, these are the spaces we have. <laughs> and uh, there's no need to pretend what, uh, that these don't exist because, yeah, we have to. <laughs> we have to show it. And uh, much appreciated. Yeah. yeah, and I'm just reading here that uh, Los Olvidados was a, an influence to films like Bijot, Amores Peros, and City of God. I see it. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> there's no denying. Um, <laughs> I, I've I've seen all those three, and uh, yeah, I, I it shows in. Um, yeah, this is this is I think a kind of responsible way of filmmaking is that you see you show the ugliness just not only because you want to show the ugliness but because you're trying to make a point and you're you are actively questioning society. Why the fuck are you letting this happen? And that's what I got the feeling of and knowing Bunuel, knowing Bunuel, knowing Bunuel's work is it's always angry with criticism like it feels like this is what it's going for. It's like, what the heck are we doing? Why are we letting this happen? This, and this is this is for real, okay? So that's how that's what I got from him. And uh, yeah, it's it's a film that I saw three a.m. Hard to sleep after. <laughs> I feel dirty watching it. Um, yeah. yeah. So yeah. You have to wash. You have to. Take a bath after watching. I did. It. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I was dirty watching this one, and not just because of you know the 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 visuals, but just like the feeling that the film gives you. It makes you feel that this world just no one cares about anyone anymore, and that feels disgusting. Um. All right. So, um, having said all that, we go back to the Walls of Malabaga, nineteen fifty honorary foreign language film award. Recipient, <laughs> um, do you think it's a bubble? <laughs> do you think he was a worthy recipient of this uh, award? Well, if you put uh, Bunuel's film beside it, right, I would, I would have my preferences, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I stated. But I'm not too sure because this was, like you said, this was the year where. It's just an honorary award, mm-hmm. you know. There's not much of a competition, or there's not much of what the other films were considered alongside it. So, uh, yeah, it was given the award. So, why not, right? I mean, you you could see what is much appreciated, especially considering uh, American audiences and the uh, body uh, compo- that composes the award. Uh, giving body right um so 
it it has this different character from American cinema, but I guess it also panders or it, it on uh, the American cinema of the time in terms of the love story, this uh, certain um, exploration of realism and yeah, I mean I wouldn't doubt that. <laughs> I mean I wouldn't have it any other way because I don't think there were there are much options to consider or listed down for us. Yeah, yeah, but I mean I'm a, I'm Team Bunuel all the way. <laughs> if you if you want me to put it that way, right? <laughs> but yeah, I, what, what what do you think? Um, since you see the, these other films made in that year. I'm cool. <laughs> I don't mind. <laughs> and it's uh, at first I did question it, like why is what is what is this film doing here? But the more yeah. we talked about it, the more I realized like yeah, it, it didn't have to be about the big emotions, but it did have to be more on point what it wanted to do. And for the most part, it was on point. Um, it's a film that maybe modern viewers would question like what's so special about this. Um, but it's really fine filmmaking and, um, it's from René Clément who has already has done Forbidden Games, wonderful, and Gervais, also solid. So it, it kind of shows like a very humanist director and, um, very interested in human experience, no matter how small they feel or not how, no matter how small they are, but they're not small. Small moments are big human moments. And um, now that I've seen three of his works, um, kind of see that trend of like, he really cares about those small details in the life of the character that he is um, talking about. So with that being said, Marin, thank you so much for joining me in this um, episode on this film that... Um, it's not so well known, but I'm glad we had a time to talk about this. Thank you so much. Of course, of course. Um, thank you for having me. Yeah. <laughs> a very rare opportunity <laughs> in our in our circle. I think this is the first time we talked in length. At length. In length, yeah. At, yeah. Sure. Um, just uh, almost like, yeah, hi, or in passing, you know. Hi, hello, how are you doing? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs> Hey, you're here yeah. too. Okay, bye. Yeah, right, yeah. Right, right, right. Oh, when is Great that gonna happen again? Oh goodness, but um, yeah. I'm wishing you the best in the Palanque Day thing, the the development of, course, of your doc. Uh, um, yeah, let's see where it goes. Yeah. And right now, uh, there are many branches already of not Palanque Day, you know, but um other narratives around the vicinity, the geography of it. So um, maybe soon in the future, there's an opportunity to explore that. But, you know, a lot of my work is really situated within this city. And uh, that's why I also appreciate these kinds of films that we talked about because they're really situated where they are with the the times and the spaces they're in. Um, I, I... I could only aspire to do something as a director, right? So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. And you can find me on Twitter at Carlos Alejandro. This podcast at Manage Bear. This podcast is everywhere. Again, 
the Patreon page is up and running. Um, we're currently doing the 2020 We're doing the 2020 retrospective where we talk about the films nominated alongside another round. Um, after bicycle next week, bicycle thieves, and then Monsieur Vincent, and then the final film from the retrospective, Boston Herzegovina's Quoba de Saida. Um, we are getting close to the end. One, two, three, four, five more episodes. Five episodes to go and we're done. So I hope you stick around. Um, again, I'm wishing you all well. This is a goodbye for now and together let us break the one-inch barrier.